turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This week, I uh, was thinking about some of the scariest times of my life. And when I was growing up, some of the most frightening words I could hear were these words. Students, please put all of your books under your desk. Take out a clean white sheet of paper. Put your name at the top and number it from 1 to 10. Anybody anybody have those flashbacks, all right? This, students, is a pop quiz. Now, a pop quiz, in essence, is what? It's when you're being tested on something and you didn't expect it. When you've been in a class, you've been studying or you've been thinking and you, uh, you, you've been walking through some material and you, you can remember, I, for some reason, I could remember it as if um, I had the most carefree existence in life. Talking to friends, having a good time, talking about the games from yet. Well, it may not be a good time talking about games from yesterday, but walking, having just a good time. And you walk into the class and it's a beautiful day and when after school we're going to go play some ball or we're going to go hang out or we're going to get some food. And then the teacher would utter those words, everybody put your books under your desk, take out a plain white sheet of paper, and the world changed. Right? This morning the title of my message is the most important pop quiz you will ever take. And this morning, I want to give you a test. Only three questions. But each question is vital. And it's a pop quiz because you didn't walk in today thinking you were going to take a test. Now, this is how important I think the test is. There's not going to be any bells and whistles today. Okay? So, no, nothing on the screens. No treadmills on the stage. No juggling acts. Because it's an important test. Now, none of those things are bad, but this morning, I want you to focus on your answers to three questions. And here's what I want to tell you. There are three questions. If you miss any question, you fail. Didn't you love those kind of tests? I mean, if you took a three-question test, I heard some grunts there. No, I did not love those kind of tests. This is a test that you must get all three questions correctly or you fail. And the question that I want you to ask today, the question that is the ultimate question that is going to be supplied in these three questions is, I want you to test whether or not you have a relationship with the Lord. Now, some of you just hear that and go, okay, well, I can pass. Cause so whatever the questions are, I can pass. And many of you probably can. But it has become a conviction of mine over the last few weeks that the Lord has called me to preach this message. I spoke around it a little bit on a Wednesday night. And just the Lord was, was saying, that's a Sunday morning message. Now, I'm not here today to make you doubt your salvation unless your salvation is not real. 
My goal this morning is not to throw you into confusion unless being thrown into confusion brings you to the reality that your relationship with the Lord is not real. And so it's a three-question test. And I know there are lots of things going on outside of this place today. I know there's a ball game this afternoon. I know there's lunch plans. I know there's Sunday school talk. I know there's Sunday school socials to plan. I know there's discussion you've got to get to. I know there are prayer requests to mention. I know there are lots of things on the agenda this afternoon following this. Here's my, my promise or my goal this morning. My promise to you is this. This is not going to be one of my long sermons. We're going to get to the point, we're going to get in, and we're going to get out. But I need your attention this morning. Because no matter what else is going on in your life for the rest of the day, week, month, decade, or year, nothing is more important than your answers to these three questions. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your order of worship. I want you to turn it over on the back. There's a little blank at the bottom. If you've got version, you can do this on there as well. I haven't given you any more information on version than everybody else has. So you don't know what's coming because that would be unfair, right? And I want you to number one to three. Because class, it's time for a pop quiz. Now, in case you say, well, are you... Are you okay doing this law? I mean, this, is, this, is this proper to do? Just in case you're wondering that, there's a place in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn there, but you can write this down. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where Paul has been talking to the Corinthians. And if you know much about Paul and the Bible, you know that his relationship with the Corinthians was up and down. It was He wrote good things to them. He said, here are some bad things. There were lots of bad in 1 Corinthians. and 2 Corinthians, it gets a little better. But at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, listen, Am I going to have to come over there a third time? My boys were told to clean their room yesterday. And I gave them adequate time and went in, and guess what? It was messier than when they started. And so I said, I'm going out of this room, and when I come back, I want it to be cleaned up. And so I left and gave them an adequate amount of time, and I went back, and guess what? No progress. And I said to them, I'm going to leave this room. Don't make me come in here for a third time, all right? There's something about that. When my mom and dad said, don't make me come in there a third time, I knew it was serious. And Paul tells them at the beginning of chapter 13, this will be my third visit. You guys don't have to turn there. You can just, just listen. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I've given warnings on my return. I will not spare those who have sinned. And then in verse 5, he tells them this. He said, listen, you've still got all this stuff going on. He says in verse 5, he says, so examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, I don't title a sermon the most important pop quiz you'll ever take lightly. I mean, those phrases get thrown around all the time. Most important, the best, the absolute greatest. But it's true. Your answers to this pop quiz are the most important that you'll ever give. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, we have... A passage of scripture. It's just a couple of verses, really. 
But in those couple of verses, we have in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the essence of the questions that we must ask. Verse 13 says this, And you were also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Here's the first question that you have to ask about your salvation. And the questions are one, two, and three, and the answer must be yes to all three. And the first one is this, did God start it? Did God start it? So what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is in the book of John, chapter 6, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father. He's talking about the fact that how you get to the Father. And he says, no one comes to God unless they are drawn by God. The essence is that Scripture teaches that salvation is something that is initiated by God. Now, that's true both in what happened, but also in his wooing you unto himself. Now, we get that in Ephesians chapter 1 because it says that you were in Christ. Now, that phrase is a loaded phrase. It's used multiple times in chapter 1. It's the essence of chapter 1. It's, in some ways, the essence of the book of Ephesians. But what it means is that our lives, our livelihoods, our salvation, all good things, that life itself is wrapped completely in Christ. And what it means for us when it comes to our salvation is that our salvation was thought of by God, initiated by God, purchased by God, and brought to us by God. Now, some people don't have the Lord start what they think is their salvation experience. They have somebody else that kind of influences them, or they try to impress someone, or everybody else is kind of doing it, or or they feel really bad about something, but it's not conviction of the Lord. I was talking with somebody the other day about the concept of the Holy Spirit convicting us. That's one of those Bible words. What do you mean convicting? Well, conviction is one of those things that I can't explain unless you've experienced it. Anybody ever had one of those kind of things? Somewhere you've been, somewhere you've gone, something you've eaten, something, and you say, listen, I I can't explain it to you. You just got to experience it. Conviction is one of those things. It's this, it's this, um, it's not really just feeling bad. It's this understanding in our lives that God is speaking to us, is calling us, that, that there's something wrong, that, that he is inviting us to something. When I was growing up, I had uh, my grandmother, my mom's mom, Granny, Granny Nail, Granny was uh, one of those ladies that taught children Sunday school until she was in her 70s. Had rheumatoid arthritis, days when she couldn't get up, couldn't hardly feel good, but she was there every Sunday morning teaching children. Granny was uh, one of those ladies that taught vacation Bible school every year that I remember until she was just physically completely unable. 
And Granny was one of those that never hesitated to tell you what she thought. Anybody know anybody like that? Please don't point, all right? She never hesitated. And Granny and I were having a conversation. This was around the time that I was beginning to think through the things of the Lord and what God was calling me to do. And and I, I remember laying in the floor of my living room watching a Memphis State basketball game. And Granny, who apparently didn't think the basketball game was that important, just said to me, Lyle, are you under conviction? I said, Granny, what do you mean? She said, do you feel in yourself that God is calling you, that God is asking you if you're going to believe? And I didn't really understand fully what that word conviction is. I, I don't know that I do now. But I knew that moment that I was. So here's the question. In your salvation experience, was it God that initiated or was it for somebody else? I heard about a boy that was at a revival and he walked up on stage in the middle of the third point of the sermon. The preacher was still preaching. This guy walks up on stage and the preacher's kind of taking him back and says, can I help you? He says, I've got something I need to tell my parents. Well, this is kind of an odd forum for that. What is it? He goes, well, I need to get saved. He goes, okay, well, what do you need to tell me? He said, well, give me a moment. So he got up and he said, mom and dad, they were up in the balcony. He said, mom and dad, I want you to know something. He said, when I was nine years old, dad, you asked me if it was time for me to be saved. And dad, I so cared about you that I said yes because I wanted to please you. He said, and when the preacher was talking today, he said something about that your salvation must be started by God. My thought was, I don't need to hear the rest of the sermon because mine was started by my dad and not by God. He said, so mom and dad, I love you and I thank you. I just want you to know that ten minutes ago, I gave my heart to the Lord because it was God that started it not you. So here's the question. Did God start it? These two little words, in Christ, seem like such insignificant things in the scope of the whole book, but they are the essence of what is told there, that it is in Christ, it is through God, it is because of the Holy Spirit that we are drawn. In John chapter 16, Jesus says that when I leave, I will send a comforter, but the comforter in one that's just going to make you feel good, he's going to convict you unto sin and righteousness and judgment. And so salvation has to begin with that. Here's the second question. If your answer to the first question was no, then the rest may not matter, but we're going to go anyways. Number two, did you listen to and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you listen to and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Go to what it says in verse 13. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. Now, let me tell you, that's not the best translation of that word. The word heard there is not the best translation because that's not really what the word means. At least it doesn't mean what we think the word heard means. You see, I'm convicted or I believe that the word heard or hear has a different meaning than the word listen. 
And so the question is not, did you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's, did you listen? Now, here's how I can best explain it. Last night, there was a ball game on television. And I like to watch Tennessee football. Susan is not a big football-watching fan. And sometimes the football games go a little longer than she would like. Anybody? Sometimes they go a little longer than I would like, all right? And so, yeah, last night, we the kids were running around. I was watching. Tennessee had played terribly, but somehow there seemed to be a small sliver of hope that they might be able to pull it out or get close. And I was watching the game, and she was trying to talk to me about something fairly important. And she said to me, Lyle, did you hear? I heard, I heard you, babe. I heard you. Lyle, Lyle did you? I, I heard you. I'm, I, are you listening to me? There's a difference. Amen? There is a difference. You cannot multitask listening. There's no way I can watch to see whether the pass that Tyler Bray just threw is going to be complete for a touchdown and completely listen to my wife at the same time. Guys, I'm sorry. I just told them that can't happen, okay? There's a difference in hearing. Hearing basically means your ears are in the general vicinity of sound that is coming at them. Listening means that you are paying attention. Any of you wives ever think your husbands are hearing you but not listening to you? Oh, the rest of you are lying over there. I see. I saw some hands go up and something. No, he is always so good. He listens to me all the time. Here's the question. Have you listened to the gospel and believed it? Here's the gospel in a nutshell. Sometimes people call it the Roman road, but it's simply this, that you and I were created by God and have chosen to walk away from him. That we have sinned, and that sin just means that we have done things that are wrong and that we haven't done some things that we should. And because of our sin, God has chosen or has Because of who God is, it is necessary for him to separate himself from us. And without God, we are completely hopeless. Romans 3.23 says, for the wages, I mean, for all have sinned. I went to point two before I got point one out. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, we are separated from God. And the truth is, if it was left up to us, we would be eternally separated from him. One of the best preachers of the 20th century, a man that I admire greatly, named Adrian Rogers, once said that if you looked at my life, he said, I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes of my life to get into heaven. That there's nothing we can do to get ourselves into heaven. And because of that, we have sinned and do sin and are sinning. There are some of you that have sinned already this morning. There are some of you that have sinned already in the midst of this sermon. There are some of you that will sin before I'm done. And all of us, I'm guessing, will do some sort of sinful act or not do something we're supposed to do before we put anything in our mouths for lunch. And you're spending the morning at church. We are sinful by nature. We are sinful by practice. And there is nothing we can do about it 
on our own. But the gospel, the word gospel means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God did what we couldn't do. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life. He gave himself for us. He sacrificed his life for us. And the response that we have is that we must confess him with our mouth, believe it in our heart, and turn from our wicked ways. Have you listened and have you believed? Now, belief means having a saving faith. It means a trust in the Lord. 11, uh, Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. The idea is that we must be people who believe. Now, this belief in just, oh yeah, I, I've heard that stuff before, and okay, I can accept it's true. Belief means that you stake your life on it, that you give all that you have for it. Jesus told this parable about a man who found a treasure buried in a field, and he went and he saw what it was. He buried the treasure back. He went and sold everything he had so he could buy the field to get the treasure. Now, the concept there is that he valued so much what was in that field that he gave up the entirety of his life to make sure he secured it. Isn't it crazy what people treasure these days? I watched a show um, this week called Buried Treasure. It comes on one of the networks. And it's these two brothers who own auction house and galleries and they go into people's houses and they look for things that are buried treasure for people that are in need of money at the moment they've got a bills to pay or they've got surgeries coming up they got something and he went to this guy's house that had a an old car now i'm not a car guy i mean the car i'm currently driving has um, holes in the upholstery and the uh, driver's side door handle is broken off and i have to do kind of a a special thing to get it open. I'm not a car guy. We've got some car guys in here, but I'm not one of them. And this guy had an original, some kind of uh, race car or sports car from uh, early on in production. And he had restored it. And so they went over with a fine tooth comb. And um, they told him, go over there and write down a number that you would be comfortable giving. All right, being given for the car. So he wrote down a number, and the guy, a guy came in, and they got two guys on the phone, and they were auctioning and bidding on this thing, and a guy offered him $250,000 for a car. Now, here's, here, let me just tell you a little secret. If any of you would like to offer me $250,000 for my car, I will gladly accept, all right? And I cannot imagine any kind of car that is so precious to me that someone offered me 250000 and I said, ah, I think I'll pass. The guy looked at him and said, it just means more than that to me. To which I turned to Susan and said, he is nuts. All right? Isn't it crazy what people treasure? Jesus said, The belief I'm talking about is the kind of belief that when you discover the truth of the gospel, you will give up everything in your life to have it. It's not an addition. It's not the kind of thing I do on Sunday. It's not the social club that I get to be a part of. It's not my priorities or my preferences or what I like or dislike. It is I will give my life for that. 
did you listen and believe? People ask me, do I have to know the date and the hour and the time about when I asked the Lord to come into my life? And my simple answer to that is not exactly. I don't think you have to have, I I can tell you this. I do not have a specific date. I can't tell you it was April 12th, 1990. I can't tell you it was April 14th, 1985. But I can tell you everything about that day. I can tell you about the sermon the pastor was preaching. His name was Brother Boston. I can tell you where I was sitting. I was sitting about where um, Melvin and Ruth Bess are sitting. It was a smaller sanctuary, but I was sitting about that area. I can tell you that when the pastor had gotten up the last three or four weeks and had said, is it time for you to accept the Lord? Is it time for you to come forward? I can tell you that for three or four weeks, there had just been this uneasy feeling, almost uh, heightened feeling of what it was like when the teacher would say it's time for a pop quiz. Just a nervous, what am I, do I need to, you know. And I remember sitting back in that, your right corner, my left looking at you. And I just remember praying, Lord, I believe it all. And I want to follow you, whatever that means. I don't think you have to know the day and the time, but I think you've got to have a good idea of when it was happening and what happened. I mean, if people can remember what they were doing on September the 11th, 2001, Don't you think you ought to be able to remember what you were doing around the time that your life was eternally changed? Did you listen and believe? Here's the last one. Number three. Number one, did God start it? Number two, did you listen and believe to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Number three, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Verse 13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard, there's we go, we listened to the gospel of salvation and having believed, that means a saving faith, that means a real faith, that means giving your heart and life and everything you are and saying, Lord, I need you, I want that salvation, I want to be saved. Third thing, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit? It says here, having believed you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Spirit. And the idea here literally is that he has implanted himself on your life. In the in those days when they were finishing a contract or they were finishing a deal, they would pour hot wax on the document and then whoever was the new owner would take a ring that they have and they would press it. It was called their seal. They would press it into the hot wax. And as they did, it was saying, I now own this piece of property, this document, this is a, I am saying that it is mine or that I have passed it on. I am sealing it with me. The idea is when you became a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been sealed and set apart as God's, that God says he is mine and that the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within you. In our prayer remix series, we talked about the fact that if you're a believer in Jesus, you don't have to continually pray, Lord, be with us, because Scripture teaches not only is God with us, but he lives within us. And if that is true, then your life ought to reflect the fact that the Holy Spirit's part of your life. 
Now, there are several ways you can test this. This number three, you can ask several questions. These are sub-questions under the main question. And you can ask, am I demonstrating more and more of the fruit of the Spirit? You know the fruit of the Spirit, or many of you do. It says in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So you ask yourself, am I becoming a more loving person? Am I becoming more gentle? Am I becoming more joyful? Do things that used to get me riled up no longer rile me up? Am I becoming more peaceful? That doesn't just mean that I don't get angry, but that there is a sense of wholeness in my life, that there's a sense of well-being in my life. Is my life something that's becoming more and more like Christ? You could call that the character test. The fruit test or the character test is my life becoming more like Christ. There's the sin test. Does, do I enjoy sinning or do sins now bother me when I do them? If you can sin and it never bothers you, there is problem there. There's a problem. In fact, if you can sin easier today than you could 10 years ago, you need to ask the question, what in the world is going on? You ought to develop more and more a distaste, a dislike for sin. There's an obedience test. The way you know the Holy Spirit is in your life, if you're obeying the Lord. You know, there's a place in Scripture that says, that not everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? It says that on the final day they'll all get together and Jesus will say, all right, um, you go over here and you go over here and you're here, you're here, and you separate them. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're in, you're not. And what's interesting is the people over here don't go, well, we knew it. We weren't in. What does it say? It says they start going, wait, wait a minute, Lord. We, what we did stuff. I mean, we went to church. I, I was a part of a Sunday school. I even taught one time when the teacher was out. Or I taught for 10 years. Wait, wait a minute, Lord. What do, you, what do you mean that we're not in? I, I specifically remember when I gave. I mean, I gave to that building fund. Wait, wait a minute. I gave my tithe on a regular, more than those other people in that church. What do you mean? I'm not in. Jesus says what? He gives a list of things they didn't do that he called them to do. Now, here's the thing. I don't for one minute believe that I can do anything to earn my salvation. What I do firmly believe is that if I've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, my life ought to be a life of continually growing obedience to him. Because of what he's done, it's the desire of my heart, not the obligation. And he says to them, depart from me, I never knew you. We sang the solid rock this morning, right? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking. Now, where does that come from? Where did the, the basis of that song come from? Solid rock and sinking sand. Where does it come from? Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. At the end of that Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? Those of you that hear what I'm saying today and do what I've said 
are like those who built their house on what? If you want to use the hymn version, the solid rock. Those of you that hear what I've done today and you don't, you're the ones that have built your house on sinking sand. Are you being obedient to Christ? And not just in the things that you want to be obedient to, but even in the difficult things. The last of those questions of the Holy Spirit's in your life is called the multiplication test. Are you telling other people about what Christ has done? Listen, the gospel is such good news that if you don't have a desire to tell other people about what you found, you need to ask the question if you ever found it in the first place. Three questions. Did God start it? Did you listen and believe to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Now, here's the danger right now. You go, okay, I got my notes down. I'm good. Let's move on. Here's the danger. I believe that your answers to those three questions are of utmost importance to whether or not you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. I'm not one of those people, I don't think the Bible teaches it, that thinks you can get in and out of this kind of thing. And so it's either you have or you haven't. In fact, if you keep on reading in chapter 1, verse 14, it talks about this deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What it says is the Holy Spirit is but a, a deposit on our life, almost like a down payment on a house, and that it will come to fruition and that God will take care of it. And so there's nothing that we can do to get ourselves out of that contract obligation, out of that covenant once we're in. So it's not a question of, did you have it and you lost it? The question is, have you ever had it? And I'm not asking you today whether you have walked down an aisle. I'm not asking you whether you've been dunked in the water or sprinkled. I'm not asking you whether you've joined a church. I'm not asking you if you and your friends had a discussion. What I'm asking you is, did God start it? Did you listen and believe to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And is there evidence in your life of the Holy Spirit? And if the answer to any of those questions is no, then you need to have some serious thought and discussion with the Lord. We're not talking about inconsequential information here. We're talking about the most important truth about yourself that you need to know. So let me ask you a question. And the most important pop quiz that you'll ever take. Did you pass or did you fail? And here's the great thing about the Lord. Even if you failed, there's an opportunity today. There's an opportunity right now to get it right. I talked about those scary moments when a test would come out or a pop quiz would happen. There were also those moments in my history at school when the teacher would pass out a graded test and she would say, I'm going to give you all a few minutes to correct whatever you missed and then I'm going to regrade you. An opportunity lies before you today. If you missed one of those questions, if you failed the test, God is offering an opportunity. Now, don't make me convince you. That's not my job. My job is to present. It's the Holy Spirit's job, the Lord's job to convict. 
But if this morning you say, Pastor, I messed up on one of these three, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to come forward. Now, here's the deal. Some of you in this room are going to let pride get in the way of you doing something that will be eternally significant. Because there are some of you in this room right now that are questioning things. And if you let pride take over, then you are risking eternity. Now, you've been around me, most of you, long enough to know I don't normally talk this way. But it is conviction on my heart from what the Lord has called me to do this week. And I want you to be real with the Lord. I'm not asking you how many years you've been here. I'm not asking you what all you've done. I'm not asking you what church you got baptized in. I'm not asking any of that question. I'm asking, do you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you answered no to any of those three questions, before you settle anything else about the rest of the day, you need to settle this.